to meet the delightful Gabrielle Mosquera, and she's here to tell us all about her Spanish-American first-generation experience. So please give a warm hola to Gabrielle. All right, hello. Uh, my name is Gabrielle, I am 43. Uh, I grew up in, I'm first-generation American. I grew up in New Jersey and Hudson County uh, to Spanish parents. My dad is, both my parents are from Galicia, and that is um, a northwestern uh, portion of Spain that sits directly on top of Portugal. What was the most rewarding thing about being a first-generation kid? I think the most rewarding thing about being a first-generation kid is um, the ability to see America a little bit more objectively maybe then you would be able to see it if you had been born here. Like I think the consciousness of what it was to be American was imbued in me pretty young only because my parents essentially, there was a lot of mixed messaging when I was a kid. It was just like, you're Spanish or this or that. But I do remember, I remember it. I remember a fairly consistent message being, we are Spanish. You are American. Do you know what I mean? So like, there's a naming convention in Spain where it's like you always get a middle name and you would be taking um, you like if my parents followed naming conventions, my name would be longer because my name would actually be like my last name would be a combination of my father's last name and my mother's last name, but my maternal last name would go last. So it'd be like my full name is like, would be like Gabriela Mosquera de Garcia because that's my mom's last name and that's how it is. And, and that's how it is for people in Mexico. And, um, but it's just like Gabrielle Mascara. I don't actually have a middle name. It's because my parents, my parents are so practical. They were like so aware of me being American that they didn't even give me a middle name because they were like, listen, people are going to have problems already with the names you have. Okay. So let's just two names. It's fine. Like they're, my parents are like extremely, um, cut to the chase, practical, um, slightly anxious, very anxious people. So they're just like, we're not going to even mess around with, we're not going to give any flourishes. Let's not be, <laughs> don't get too big for your, for your bridges here. Uh, and I was like, that's so weird because you both have middle names and everybody else has a middle name, but I don't have a middle name. And they were like, no, because you're American. And I was like, oh, okay. But at the same time, there were so many things about the way that they raised myself and my sister because they didn't want us to be American. They didn't want us to, to um, they were so terrified that we were going to be lazy. They were so terrified that we were going to not know how to spend money. They were really afraid um, that we were going to be too loose and immoral. And um, so we had this kind of double awareness all the time of like um, that we are American, that we we're like inextricably not like they are, but also that we couldn't be too American because that would also be a, a something that would be hard for them, you know? So it was like, it, they were really, really strict and um, just anything sort of permissive, anything very like open or big, like that was too American. You kind of had to be like more reserved, more um, quiet, you know what I mean? Don't make your business known. Um, you know, don't, don't get too comfortable in a way. But I also credit it with um, making me aware of, in a way of what American, Americanness was, 
You know what I mean? Not that I could put too fine a point on it, but I understood that I, the way that I was growing up was different than my American peers were growing up. That, um, that I couldn't sort of rely on this country to take care of me. You know what I mean? And as an adult, as a like absolute obvious American, I still feel that way, you know? And I think that that is like a, a, an awareness that some people are sort of coming to as a result of a lot of crazy shifts in our, in our lives in the past few years, or generally like there's a general kind of like widespread disillusionment, like this country's not going to take care of me. But I feel like I kind of was raised with that message. You know what I mean? That you cannot be too careful. You cannot be, you cannot rely on this place, um, to, to value you, you know, uh, you have to always, I, I think it totally comes from my parents' own experience of being upended in their own like childhoods. Like you can't take anything for granted. And I was always exhausted by it when I was a kid. I was like, oh my gosh, but you're here now. It's okay. Like, geez, you have jobs. It's fine. Like, we have a house. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's fine. Um, but I think having an understanding of the fact that, number one, like, you can't count on this place to take care of you. And also, like, hey, guess what? There are other things going on in the world. Like, we would talk about news at the dinner table that had nothing to do with America. Um that I doubt, I don't know that necessarily like other kids my age were having or were, you know, it's not like our opinion really counted, but like just the awareness of what was, you know, watching other news channels and like listening to Spanish language channels and just understanding like at the same time that you're living this American life, life is happening elsewhere. What was the weirdest food you ever had to take to school or offer a friend? Generally, in elementary school, I didn't have a ton of friends, so I went home a lot for lunch. I do remember, though, um, similarly to maybe another guest, I do remember being super excited when I did start eating lunch in school because I was starting to eat <laughs> all these things that I wasn't really – I was like, macaroni and cheese? Like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Sign me up for this. So I didn't bring in a lot of foods, but I do remember having to take a lot of steps um, to, like, sort of – hide the foods that I was eating at home, even if I wasn't bringing them into school. Mm -hmm. Like, um, my family was very Catholic growing up. And so that meant for sure during Lent, I mean, where we weren't so Catholic that we were eating food, like, uh, fish on Fridays all year round, which I know like a lot of Catholics do, but we definitely only ate fish on Fridays, um, during Lent for sure. Mm. And it just so happened that like Lenten season also corresponded with like a lot of like when I got to middle school or junior high, like eighth grade dance, like dance, like season. So I remember having to, not having to, but being very um, strict about, my mom would like fry a ton of fish. Um, and that was our Friday dinner. And I was like, I remember going to my first dance smelling like fried fish <laughs> and having a lot of people comment on it. And look, I'm not going to get in, I'm not going to get unsavory on your podcast, but I will tell you, <laughs> That, You're welcome to do so. <laughs> I will tell you that being in middle school and going as a girl smelling like fish <laughs> to a dance or really any public gathering um, definitely invites a lot of comments about like where that smell might be coming from. And so I had to kind of go home. But I also, but again, like the consciousness about everything, you're like, I could not possibly have that conversation with my mother. So I was just like, listen. I'm going to a dance later. Like I have to, I literally took to my room. Like I was a Victorian, uh, like I was dying of consumption or something. I was like, I will take the fish in my room. <laughs> 
I would close the door, I would take it into my room and I would eat it on the floor by myself if I was planning to go to a dance because number one, I just, so it was, it was a tough find to be in when you're like a seventh grade kid because you're like, you know, you're where I, I, my mom was like, why are you wearing a different shirt? You know, like she was, I would change shirts before I went to the dance. I would, um, it was, I think for, for people who are like from Spain and I've also talked about this with folks, um, my friends I had growing up who are from Portugal, like this is a fish heavy community, man. Like we're Iberian. Okay. Like we fish a lot. Like you're right surrounded by water. So it's like, and it's cheap. And like my grandfather was a fisherman. It's actually a point of pride. Like, Hey, yeah, we eat a lot of fish. Okay. And that was one thing about being Americans. Like, you know why Americans don't like fish. That's why. And it's true. Americans don't like fish. How, how much of an outcast are you? If you're microwaved fish, like actually that smell makes it so that I cannot do that shit because that brings it right back to junior high for me. Okay. I only eat fish at home. So, so I would like take it, I would take my little Victorian like junior high meal into the room with me and like have like windows open everywhere. Cause I just could not chance going to a dance smelling like fish. Cause I, you know, like didn't want to hear what boys would say about me if I smell like fish when I got there. It's not like I didn't. And so like for a long time, I was like, well, I know you don't like fish. And I was like, I like fish. I just don't like, um, smelling like, smelling fish. like fish when I show up at a social function. <laughs> right. Um, and you, if you ever have anybody Portuguese on here, they will talk to your ear, you know, they'll have similar stories about bacalao. Like it's, it was, it was absolutely a thing, um, for all of us growing up, I think. Um, so I can't say that I, I would not have dared to share any of that with anybody. I was like, listen, man, I'm just trying to get by here. So I'm already like, I'm not even bringing tuna fish to school. Like I am just laying low, um, <laughs> on the fish front. And, um, I really, I didn't bring like leftovers or anything. I just ate, went home to eat my leftovers, you know, cause I was already kind of, I was already kind of going through enough. I got bullied. I was speaking Spanish when I was little. Um, so I, I was already kind of already going home. So by the time I actually was eating um, food in school, I was eating American food because my mom had like thrown up her hands. It was like, fine, eat the burger, send the macaroni and cheese. You know what I mean? She's like, I've, you're a lost cause kind of thing. Um, and I really want to emphasize that I loved all that food. I just had to kind of keep it secret. Tell us a funny or wise expression that your parents use that somehow just doesn't translate to English, but it, it really is a good one. It just doesn't translate well. Okay. The one that I always laugh at and that my mom now, now that she's uh, been in the States long enough to kind of laugh at herself a little bit, um, will say, and this is not unique to my family. This is just an expression in Spanish, and I'm, you probably will hear it from other people. Um, but it doesn't really make any sense in English. Okay. Um, you, you'd be like, if you're talking about someone who is not afraid to speak their mind, or maybe just not afraid to ever share anything that they're thinking, if I were talking to you, I'd be like, I would be like, Sara, ella, ya sabes, no tiene, pelos, no tiene pelos en la lengua. She doesn't have hairs on her tongue. <laughs> and I don't know how to explain this to you, but it's supposed to translate to like, I don't know if hairs are supposed to slow down your speech and that is what would, would oh, keep it from sense. happening. So, so like, oh, so the idea is that like you say anything that comes to your you mind. You say anything that yeah. comes to your mind. You're not shy about sharing your feelings, your thoughts, whatever. Ella, ya no tiene pelos, ya sabes, you know, like, 
no tiene pen ni, ninguna. Like, never. Has never had a hair on her tongue. Um, and that just, is, yeah, that just means like, she'll just tell you, you know, that she'll just tell you, tells you, she will just tell you what, what she thinks. And it's always funny to me because quite honestly, my mom has never had hairs on her tongue either. So to hear her say this about somebody, it's, it, that's always how it happens too. It, it's always somebody who's like, bueno, ya sabe, yo no tiene pelos en la lengua. I'm like, bitch, you don't either. Shut up. You know what I mean? Like, um, none of you actually are like that. I would love to meet someone with hairs on their tongue. They might actually like be a little bit quiet. I don't know, but I feel like this room is actually full of people who don't have that, don't have that, uh, they, everybody feels liberated. So good for you all, I guess. I don't know. Um, one of my favorites, and I would love to figure out, I, I, for a little bit, I, I thought about getting it tattooed on me, but one of my favorite, it, and this is super simple, and it actually does translate directly, I think. My grandmother used to say it a lot. Um, oh, okay. There are a couple from my grandmother. Sorry, she's dead. So I feel like I have to like memorialize her a little bit, but she, um, <sighs> One of her favorites that directly translates is um, uh, los que más tienen no son los que más dan. Those who have the most are not the ones who give the most. Mm. Um, and she would always say that generally, like it doesn't, the people who give the most are the ones that it kind of like hurts the most, you know, who actually feel it. Um, and, but one that always made me laugh and we still say in my family now it, to like, um, connote a length of time about something uh, longer than a day without bread mm, wow I'm like oh it took me forever i was online for so long like it, it was so long it was like a day without bread because for us bread is like oh my gosh you have bread all the time like every dinner every meal like maybe not breakfast but like lunch dinner you always have bread like my family would like get a big loaf of bread at the beginning of the week, like freeze part of it. You would heat it up later. You always have bread at, at, at the very least at dinner. So it's like a day without bread, a whole day, like not even at one meal, like that's a long day. <laughs> and delicious bread, no less. I would like to th thank you very much. I would like to think so. Um, how much do you identify with your parents' country? I, I have to say, I never feel more American than when I'm in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think I'm liberal, like, no, honey, you need to go to Spain and you have to hang out with like your mom's cousins who were like shot up for being socialist or when Franco was like a dictator. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, you kind of comfort yourself with this idea. You're like, it's fine. My family's not from here. Like, that's why I don't understand everything. That's why I feel a little bit off. And then you go to that place and you're like, shit, I'm fucking American as hell. <laughs> Um, I remember going for a Christmas, uh, probably like in 2006 or seven, um, with my then boyfriend, because his, he was half Spanish and his, he had family, um, in Barcelona, in, in like Catalonia. So we made this plan and we were going to go spend part of the holiday with my family and part of the holiday with his family. And, um, it was a Christmas Eve dinner and my family had like prepared, it was like my mom's cousins. They prepared this whole feast. Most of course, totally fish. And, um, which is great. But George W. Bush was president at this time. And so like, I am there in my broken, sad Spanish trying to talk to people. My cousin, I, I'll do this all in English. My cousin was like, my mom's cousin was like, but tell me, why did you elect this man? And I was like, well, 
I tried to kind of take the way out initially. I was like, well, I didn't elect him. You know, Concha, like, come on. You know, she's like, yeah, but you all did. You, you American. You know, like, she, like, our family um, would call us, they don't call us Americans, first of all. They make, they, if they call us Americans, they call us North Americans. Because they were like, you know that we don't consider Mexico part of you. You know what I mean? Like, they're very, like, Norte Americano. And actually what they really call us are Yankees. You know, they'd be like, esos Yankees. You know what I mean? So it's like, but you Yankees, like, why did you, you, you know what I mean? So it was like, we're, you're not us, you're, you're them. So tell us why you elected him. And I was like, trying to explain, you know what I mean? Like the complexities of America. I was like, you know, and in this broken ass Spanish, I'm trying to be like, well, you know, there's this expression that America is as much an idea as a place. My cousin's like, bullshit. She was like, you're a president. Let me tell you something. She's like, your president should be flayed with a razor 1,700 times for every Iraqi citizen that he has been responsible for the death of. And I was like, I do not know how to respond to this, actually. (laughs) Actually, I cannot defend any of this in Spanish. And I just realized, like, I'm playing a different ballgame over here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, um, I was like, I can't, I can't defend that. Um, and I'm sorry, you know? And it is, it is not, I mean, it was a very, it was actually, um, an interesting experience for me because I totally recognized my parents and all of these people, but I didn't a hundred percent recognize myself, but I, I felt like I was playing out the same role that I was with my parent. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, I'm just doing this on a much larger scale. Yeah. You know, being over here. Um, and being in Spain with my parents was also a really interesting experience because I went with them. Um, my mom had been back since she immigrated and my dad had not. And so watching my dad sort of also realize that he was not Spanish anymore, like in real time. Um, was really interesting. So in a way, it was kind of a little bit of a bonding thing with my own parents, because I was like, oh, we're all American now, like it or not. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, like, you don't belong any, you don't belong here anymore. Mm -hmm. And you might not feel like you relate to me, but we are all in this together now, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I wouldn't say that I don't feel Spanish. I definitely, I feel more Spanish here than I do in Spain, for sure. when I go to Spain, I'm like, oh, I am very American. I'm very much like, can I talk to the manager of Spain? Because a lot of this is unacceptable. <laughs> but I also feel like, but on the other hand, I mean, I get into conversations with a lot of people who are like, explain your country. None of this makes sense to us. And I'm like, I can't explain it to you in a way that you would understand. Um, because I feel like I, I'm trying to explain to you a place that is, is like reckoning with a very, very difficult past and like not doing a very good job about it. But I'm also a little bit salty cause I'm like, what have you, what have you reckoned with? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, do you even know people who aren't Catholic? Jesus Christ. <laughs> what would you do differently if you were to raise a child in another country? I think, um, I think if I were to raise a child in another country, I would probably try to do my best to um, give them an understanding that they're kind of holding dual identities in them, Um, that they are more than one thing and that they are probably going to be confused sometimes. You know, I would be like, hey, here's the thing. You are 
American to some extent, but you are also this, and you are also, the, you know, wherever I was raising them, I don't know, whoever their dad would be, I'd be like, but you're also this, but we are together also this, and, and we are here, and we have to, you know, and we are, so you're also this. So I would, um, I would at least try to acknowledge all of the, the kind of multifold identities that they were probably going to encounter in themselves before they went into a, a situation like school or even just like just any social situation where they had to sort of, I, I would, I would want them to not feel like they were fending for themselves, that they were not figuring themselves out in that way that they, you know, I would just be like, if you feel like any of this is hard or confusing, like just let's come, just come home and talk about it. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like it would be helpful. I think it's helpful for all first generation kids to just be acknowledged like, Hey, you and I are different. You're going to be holding more things at the same time than I am. But like, I want you to feel like you can come to me and talk about it, you know, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a little bit confusing and it's going to be frustrating, but actually you should be really proud of all the things that you are. Um, I think my parents did the best they could, but I think there was a lot that they could not I think there was a lot that they could not anticipate. I think they just kind of automatically assumed that my sister and I would have it much easier than they did because we hadn't immigrated. You know what I mean? I think they kind of felt like we, by virtue of being born here, would have, would have an easy time. Um, and that wasn't, that really wasn't the case for me. And I don't think it was the case for my, for my sister either. So I think I would at least want to acknowledge that. So it's kind of a weird question, but uh, can you tell us about a time and I'm putting this in quotes that you rescued your parents from an American style faux pas. You can answer that however you want to, but uh, some of us have gone through those kinds of experiences. And again, I'm using rescued in quotes. I don't mm -hmm. really mean it in the literal sense. No, no, I understand. I think, I don't think I've had to rescue my parents, but I do. Okay. So for a really long time, it, I don't know when it exactly happened, or I, I think there were like various cultural forces that made this happen, but there was, there was like a golden period of time where speaking Spanish in public was sort of like magic. Like nobody knew what you were saying. And so my mom could talk to me in Spanish in a mall or like a, a grocery store and that was like our secret code language. You know what I mean? Like nobody else was here who could actually understand us. And, you know, that was fine. It was like time stopped and she was just talking to me. But I feel like at a certain point that ceased to be the case, particularly where we go, we're going to like Northern New Jersey. You know what I mean? It's just like, ma'am, like, but for whatever reason, my mom just continued to kind of operate in the way that nobody else would understand what we were saying, but I had a high awareness that actually <laughs> everybody here probably speaks Spanish or at the very least, like, has an awareness of what we're saying. Um, so I've had to stop her a few times from, like, talking about a saleswoman who, like, very clearly could speak Spanish or, like, likely could speak Spanish, uh, like, to be like... I, I, like the, you know, woman would be, be Macy's and the woman would walk away and I'd be like, mom, you and she, I, I'm pretty sure she's just like, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, I don't think that you can assume that she doesn't. <laughs> so I think she knows what you're saying. 
And I think you need to stop talking about maybe getting this cheaper or that she's cheating you because I don't think that she is. And also I think that she understands what you're saying. And also while we're at it, you cannot, we've talked about how you can't talk to people who aren't your children and question them by saying, ah, ah, like ma, this is a professional. She's at work. Like, she's not your kid. You can't, like, ask her what she's saying because you hear it by being like, ah. And I was like, mom, nope, that is home voice. This is inside voice. You're doing it right now, okay? We're in Macy's. We're at the jewelry counter, okay? You can't say, ah, if you're asking for earrings. She's not your daughter. And your daughter, P.S., doesn't love that shit either at all. So she was like, oh, okay, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I'm like, I know you didn't realize, okay, but, like, we are outside right now. We are in the world. So you cannot, you got to cut that out. You have to do it. But I don't feel like I've had to save them too, too often. Um, I feel like if anything, I should save them more often than I do. There are some things that my parents pronounce wrong that I, I've let them pronounce for so long in inside that now when they say them outside, I feel like I cannot. Because it would be like, I don't, I just feel like they would feel this betrayal. Like my mom um, still thinks the word fathom is pronounced phantom and I can't, she's like, I cannot phantom it. And I'm like, I can't tell you that that's not what it is, but here you are. I got to ask you an extra question because you brought this up. Sure. Um, so I, cause my mom, as you know, is from Finland and she was the person who taught me English. And so I, I spoke this very accented English and so for the longest time, I thought the word jealous was pronounced charless. And I, like, I didn't know until I went to school that this was incorrect. Mm -hmm. did, did you have anything like this that, you know, I, I didn't, but I will tell you that the, um, the, one of the first moments of my like adult life that I felt a real like camaraderie with folks who were like first generation, but weren't just Spanish from the Hispanic world was my uh, freshman year of college in like a literature 101 class. And, and this girl was reciting, reading aloud part of a poem. Um, and she said, um, and the light fell on her ruddy cheeks. And, and the professor was like, hang on, time out. <laughs> her ruddy, he's, he's like, it's, it's ruddy. And she, and, and the, I really feel for this girl, like she actually got the, she, she got then the her cheeks, cheeks became ruddy <laughs> yeah. and, and she just looked out and she looked up and she's like, um, I'm, she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. My mom's from Ireland. And, and I was like, I kind of wanted to be like, like slam my fist down and be like, you leave her alone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> go on, keep reciting. You recited how you had learned it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just was like, you say it the way you think it should be said. Like, you know, I just, um, and it was this really kind of this dawning realization, like, oh, it's not everybody. There's so many people who go through this, you know, like, and you don't know it. And it, it sucks to not learn it until other people. I didn't know my parents had an accent until I went to school. I didn't know until somebody asked me, why do your parents talk funny? I didn't know they talked funny. I, it wasn't funny to me. Right. It just was how they spoke. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know until my second grade teacher called me a a prima donna to my mom's face that she thought that she was like, you know, well, she speaks with her hands. And my mom had to go in there and be like, this is how she knows how to speak. You know what I mean? And my mom is not like a speak truth to power kind of person. She, again, she was like head down, assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. But she was like, I need you to understand that my daughter is not, um, 
egotistical. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is how she was taught. So this is how she speaks. So I think that happens across a lot of other, you know, it's just like your otherness is a thing that you don't know about until people point it out. And like the anxiety and the shame of that can become so crippling. And it's, was so interesting to me that that could happen to people who are like, to my view, very much accepted already. Cause I grew up in like a very working class, um, Irish Scottish, um, suburb of Newark, New Jersey. So like those were the people in my lifetime who had power already, but it was really that they had just immigrated like earlier yeah. than my people had. So they had had gotten a foothold, um, into the power structures of things. So I never thought that they would have been of time. It, it took a, it wasn't until I was an adult that I understood and learned about the oppression of like Irish and Italian people and, um, how that had affected folks similarly in generations before, but also how like the power, the structures of power are such that, that one, the, once those people became acceptable, they kind of took up those reins and like perpetuated those things. What was your proudest moment as a first generation kid? And it could be connected to your parents' proudest moment of you. So those are the next two questions if right. they're connected or if they're not, I don't know. We'll see what happens. They're, they're not connected because I honestly, I really don't know my parents' proudest moment of me. I don't, I, I wish I did. Um, I, I don't know. I think they have been proud of me, but they have not, they're just not the kind of parents who would ever like express that, you know what I mean? So, um, I think I, I remember being, um, when I was a sophomore, I had the lead in the school musical. I was Annie. I was a like very chubby Hispanic Annie. 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 <laughs> Annie. <laughs> And it, the the shows, it was kind of like this big thing because like someone, you know, I kind of like allegedly like stole apart from someone who was um, a senior that year who had always gotten leads in musicals. That woman had always gotten leads in musicals. Um, um, and it was really just that I was a better singer than she was. And I don't Good say that you. with a lot of pride. I just like she wasn't that wonderful of a singer. And like it was also not a school that like people, a lot of people tried out for the musical. I really, really need to emphasize that. Like it was not, you know what I mean? Like it was not, you know, a lot of people didn't do this. So, um, so it was like, I was leading the show and it also coincided with my 16th birth, the second show of the, it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday, Monday. And the Saturday night show, that was my 16th birthday. So it was like a really cool moment for me because I was like the lead in the show and it was my 16th birthday. It's like, that's what I was going to do. My parents asked me if I wanted a, like a 16th birthday party. And I was like, no, I'm too busy. Whatever. I've got the show. Um, so it was really more like, I don't want to deal with that. And so I did the show instead of like having a, like a, we wouldn't do like a quinceanera. Like that's not a Spanish thing, but my, my family did have like sweet 16s. Um, but I was like, I don't really want to do that. Um, but what did happen as a surprise to me was that the cast learned that it was my birthday. And so they like stopped the overture at the end and they wheeled out this big cake. Um, and they told the crowd it was my birthday. And so this whole auditorium of people sang happy birthday to me, which is really, really cool. And so my family was there and they had balloons and stuff. It was really, really nice. And I remember being, you know, like going up to my parents after and being like, so that was really cool. And they were like, yeah, you were good. And they, you know, they were like, you are, you know, like, yeah, well, you, you looked like you had a good time. <laughs> I was like, I did. It wasn't like an, I love you family. And so it wasn't like an, I'm proud of you family either, you know, but we kind of, you know, we know that they're proud of us or we, 
we have to infer that they're proud of us because they support us in different ways. Like they came to my softball games, they came to my shows. And um, so I have to, I have to know that that was something that they wouldn't do if they didn't feel it proud. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know the answer to the question of when were they proudest of me? Cause I don't, they've never, I don't know that. I don't think that's a thing they've ever actually said. Um, but I can say that the moments that I feel proud uh, to be a first generation kid are the ones <laughs> that are also kind of like anxiety producing. And it's always when people ask me for directions, um, when people who clearly cannot speak English ask me for directions. And it's not because I've said anything to them or because uh, I have said anything at all, but more that they just either look at me and see something in my face or judge something from my demeanor or whatever, but they are like, that person can help me. I feel like they are coming to me um, and they are trusting me to help them because they see something in me that says like, I, I don't think you're from here or I think I, I recognize that you are someone who could help me and I feel safe enough to ask you. Um, and as much as it's like stressful for me because I'm actually terrible with directions and all I end up doing is looking at the Google maps that they're looking at, but translating a little bit. Um, I feel like, okay, if you're someone, if you see me as someone who's also navigating this sort of liminal space in between being an American and not, um, and we recognize each other sort of across that thing and that weird middle space. Uh, yes, I'm happy to help you. I'm happy. I recognize you. Yes. How can I like, I dignify your question. I will speak back to you in Spanish. And if I, if you don't speak Spanish, I have my Google translate on my phone and we will talk in Mandarin or whatever else that you need. Like if you recognize in me, somebody who like, um, you feel confident enough to, to ask, you know what I mean? Because I, I think it takes a great deal of trust yes. to say, like, this person might help me. Then then it means, like, you understand, like, we're all in this together kind of thing. Like, we're all trying to figure out this subway system of this life. <laughs> so, yes, I will help you, whatever it is. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out together. What is the most peculiar foreign tradition you've ever had to explain? So, Spain is has its own little weird segmentations and they're always kind of internally battling with each other. Um, but I feel personally like when people sort of take issue with general Spanish traditions, I'm like, I have to fight for all of us here. So the things that I felt like I've had to sort of defend or explain, um, that are, are, are actually not even my own. So those are Catalonian traditions. And I think it's just because those have become more known in the, in, in the like English speaking world, um, as more and more people have fallen in love with Barcelona, but they were things that were foreign to me, even, um, as somebody who was coming from like the Northwest visiting, um, the Northeastern part of Spain. So specifically in Catalonia, there are a couple of traditions around Christmas that are very scatological that I feel like I've had to take on the reins of explaining to people because they've asked me because they're like, you're Spanish. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not. Okay. You know what? Just ask me your question. Um, and there are two things that, uh, so, okay. There's the cagatillo, which is literally translated like the, sh the shit uncle. 
um, which is a little figurine that Catalonian people, again, I'm Galician, like I'm from the Northwest. Um, but the, the Catalanes like to put this thing in like the, um, in the, um, the Belen, like the, uh, the, oh my gosh, the, the baptismal, you know, when people put the, the Jesus and the Mary and the three wise men, yeah, the yeah, crush, yeah, yeah. like the whole, the, yeah. the, 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 that whole setup, the manger scene, the manger. Thank you. Manger, manger, manger. So when the, when they set up the manger, um, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, three wise men, the animals, and then there'll be this rogue little like gnome, essentially <laughs> like taking a shit somewhere. Wait, what? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. And his name is the Cagatillo, and it's like supposed to bring luck, I think. <laughs> I know, but it's very like cheeky. You know what I mean? Well, I would say so. Exactly. And there's also so so the Christmas Eve that night, there's the caga there there's a caganer. Again, this isn't my region. Um which the caganer is essentially a log um, that you put like a Santa hat on. It's like sort of, and you put like a, a face on it, like maybe googly eyes and like a smile. And that figure will like shit out presents for children also. Yes. Um, so yeah, that is... <laughs> That's one thing. And so, yeah, and that's like a thing. So you have to like leave offerings for the Gaganet like uh, that night and like he'll shit you out some presents that you'll you'll get the next day. Generally, I would say Three Kings Day is something that has to be explained to people because it's like, well, but yeah, we have Christmas, but also there's this additional day on January. You know what I mean? That, that happens in January. That is, you know, which also, P.S., like, my parents didn't explain to me. So going back to your question, like, I would prep my kids for, like, extraditional holidays that you're also going to experience. I was like, whose lap am I on right now? This is for <laughs> three men here now. Yeah, you're just like, I don't know, but here's what I do know. I got another puzzle. If you could have been born to American parents, would you choose that? No. Okay. No. Um... I mean, it's a hard question to answer because it's like, I don't know any other way to be born. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's true. Um, but no, I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate having honed the, again, like the ability to look at America at the same time as being American. You know what I mean? Like questioning America at the same time as like defending America. Um, I feel like, again, I had a lot of early practice in that that so it didn't hit me as hard as it hit a lot of other people later on in their lives um i appreciated learning that america wasn't the only country that exists in the world um that there are things that happen outside of here that there are um i appreciated the ability to um and i know you've talked about this yourself but i appreciated i have always appreciated the fact that I have been able to form bonds with people who are first generation across a, like a myriad of countries, hemispheres, and always that is something that you, you're kind of like, you understand that you see this too. You, you also see this and there's something very unifying about, about that. And I think it is not so much that I think what it draws attention to is the fact that there's something uniquely kind of, there's something uniquely, there are a lot of unique things about America 
you know, itself that no matter where you are coming from, you have a unifying thing and that you are not, you are just learning this, this, this one unique place. Um, and you are all kind of struggling. So there is a, I think it kind of, um, helped form me into someone who was able to be really genuine right away with people. Cause I was just like, Hey, I'm not, I don't understand the game that's being played. So like, are you, do you understand this? I don't understand this. Um, and I think that's something that is part of my personality now. Like you kind of cut, cut a little bit sooner to genuineness. Um, then I think folks who are born here might, I, I mean, I has, I, that's a huge generalization, but I feel like um, there's something about not quite fitting in always that makes you just kind of be more open about not fitting. You know what I mean? For a lot of people, it can go the other way. For a lot of people, they're just like, I'm just trying to fit in and be as quiet as possible. But for me, it kind of was just like, well, I don't understand this. <laughs> you know, very loudly, like, well, this doesn't make sense. Or like, hmm. Uh, at a certain point when you feel liberated enough to say, um, I think this might be because my parents aren't from here, but I don't understand this thing. Or uh, you're just kind of like trying to establish a baseline with other people. Like, do you see this thing that I see? And I feel, I, I still feel a bit of a separateness sometimes from people who don't have that experience. Um, where I'm like, you have kind of, you're kind of all in on, on a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know how people are going to take this. A lot of the myths about being, about America, you're, you're kind of all in on that, that I feel like I'm, I'm not all in on. Um, which is not to say that I don't feel American or proud of being American. That's not true. Um, but I, I have always felt free to question America. I've always felt like that is something you should do. Um, because I have always been from people who came here for a promise that was made. And so when the promise hasn't necessarily been kept in the way that you thought, they've been willing to kind of voice that, if only in the comfort of their own homes. Before our last question, did I miss anything that you'd like to add? I just want to give a shout out to all the kids. <laughs> all the kids that, Absolutely. that are growing up kind of trying to, you know, it's, it's a lot to carry um, as a kid. And often you're, you're, you're really very safe and cocooned in your little house until you get to school. And that is really the first time that you come into contact with kids who um, you might all live in the same zip code, but you're coming from different incomes or you're coming from different experiences. And, and, and maybe your parents' income equals their parents' income, but you're not coming from the same place. And so, like, again, that's often when you make the discovery that you are not the predominant. You are not the assumption. I would say... It's important to capture all of our stories because I think um, so many being first generation means you come from a generation of people who are just trying to survive and they would not have thought of themselves. They would not have thought of themselves worthy of storytelling. So to the extent that you feel safe and you feel okay here, use that to go back and find and record your, the stories of the people that don't necessarily see themselves as worth talking about.
um, it's important to do that. And I, I'm glad that you're starting to do that here with your podcast. Well, thank you. So the final one, and, uh, and, and this is truly because every first generation kid I know has a wonderful impression of their parents that they do. It, can you do an impression of your parents for us? Sure. Okay. So, okay. I'll do two different, two different scenarios. Um, again, like the predominant voice in my impressions is always my mom, just cause she talks more. Um, <laughs> but the first one is my, two, uh, both of my parents. I am still friends with the person who was my high school boyfriend. Um, and I went to his wedding and this was years and years and years ago. And, um, when I did go to his wedding and I came back, I remember visiting my parents afterward and they asked me about the wedding and they were like, you know, how was it? And, da, da, da. and I, I said, that was lovely. Um, I described the ceremony. I described the reception in great detail thinking like, this is all the, these were all the things they wanted to know about the food. Um, the dancing, da, da, da. Um, and then at the end of me describing this entire like weekend of activities, I, I thought they wanted to hear about it honestly, because he got married in Kentucky and that was like as foreign of a place to them as any, you know, other thing. So I was like, Oh, that's what they want to hear about. They want to hear about my trip to the waffle house. So I will tell them about that. And, um, and my mom just, <laughs> this is kind of a good encapsulation of my mom and dad. My mom goes, she goes, huh. Oh, wow. Well, I guess that means you're never going to marry him. And my father, who has been literally on the couch with his hands behind his head like this since like 1994, just pipes up and goes, statistically, you still can. <laughs> so like my dad at that point was like waiting for my, for that person to get divorced so I could become his second way. He's like, don't worry about it. You still can. Don't worry. It's fine. He didn't take his eyes off the couch. I was like, ah, well, I guess this is really it. And I was like, wow. Um, the second one is the story that I think I've already told you, but that is, um, stems from me watching Neil Diamond's coming to America video. Um, which, you know, his stirring anthem, I don't know, your listeners, yeah, yeah. Your listeners will have to Google this song. Um, but the video, uh, so Neil Diamond is a, is a singer. You can look, you can Google him. Um, and the video has a lot of footage, black and white footage of people crossing through Ellis Island, waving their flags. I remember learning about Ellis Island crossovers in school and how people would get checked for lice and some people would be sent back without papers. And that's where, you know, the slur WAP came from. And I was, I was like, gosh, and I, in my head, I just, all I knew, you know, you're like six, I was like six years old watching this video and I was in your mind, everything before you're, it's like the wizard of Oz, like everything before you is in black and white. And the only time that color came into the picture was when you entered the world. So I just assumed that my parents came through Ellis Island, even though I don't know what that was, or I was just like black and white, they're old. So their life took place in black and whites. So I'm assuming there's footage of my parents. You know, my dad probably came home with a wool cap, you know, and a little scrubby little jacket. And so did my mom, like, my goodness, the hardships. Um, and I remember going to the kitchen, like this video ended and I was so stirred. And I was like, you know, again, my six-year-old self. And I go into the kitchen and I was like, mom, what was it like when you first saw the Statue of Liberty? And she was like, 
I don't know. It was in the window. It was very small. Uh, I remember it, but I was not, I did not note it. I did not, I did not make a big impression on me. And I was like, what? Because I pictured my mom being on the deck of a ship waving a tiny American flag at the Statue of Liberty before she disembarked and got checked for lice. So I was like, what? And I said, what do you mean out the window, like from the ship? And she was like, no, what are you talking about this ship? We came over in the 60s. First of all, this is a big thing that my mom would do. Talk to me like I, like as a six-year-old child, when knew what the 60s <laughs> meant. So I did. I was like, I was like, I just was like, I don't know. She's like, no, we came on a plane. Are you kidding me? Ask your father. They came on a boat. They were poor. And my dad was like, we came on a boat. Like on the other room, he's like, we did come on a boat. It was the last boat. And it's true. It was the very last boat that ever came from Galicia. They fucking retired boats after that point because they were like, this technology is out of date at this point. So, but, my, but my dad's family was like, this is all the money that we can scrape together. So we're going to come on a boat, even though planes are actually within the world at this point, accessible. So that's exactly the kind of thing. Like my mom wasn't like, oh, you think this, it's okay. Like, no, let me explain to you. This is what happened. My mom was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Ellis Island. That was close already by the time we came in the 60s. Ma'am, what are you talking about? I'm pretty sure that you told me a story about being born in a bed in your home. So I don't really know how I'm supposed to know that you didn't come over on Ellis Island and get checked for lice, but okay. <laughs> I love that the lights. Really yeah, I was, I was horrified because do you remember when you were little and you got checked for lice? How embarrassing that is. You're like, oh my God, what if I have lice? I'm going to get sound. So I feel like it was like a bonding thing. Like, oh, you got checked for lice. I got checked for lice. Like, that's very embarrassing. I totally feel your pain. I'm really glad for Neil Diamond pointing out the similarity. Well, Gabrielle, thank you very much for telling us your first thank you for, story. Thank you very much for having me. It was lovely to have you here.